Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful that the Lord has us all here today, and I want to welcome you guys to my house, and I want to welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud and YouTube as well. Uh, praise be to God. I'm so thankful that God has us all here together and listening to this message. Uh, we have a really very important message today. It's a, there's a whole lot to it. So I'm going to just jump right into it. We're going to pray. I'm going to give you the title, and then we're going to read. So let's get going because I have a lot to say today. So Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, our great King, oh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is just so precious, Lord. As I was just talking to someone today, Lord God, you don't give us your word. You don't give us your laws. You don't give us your commandments, Lord. Because you're some harsh taskmaster, Lord. You give us these things, number one, to keep us holy. Number two, to keep us out of trouble. Lord, without laws, without commandments, Lord, we, we would be in so much trouble as this person was getting into so much trouble because he did not follow your laws. He did not follow your commandments. He did not follow your ways, Lord. And Lord, so you're not some brutal beast of a taskmaster sitting up there, throw, you know, up. Oh, uh, you know, this, that, or the other, Lord, you're, you gave these commandments because you love us. You gave us your word to show us the right path. You gave us your word to show us that there, there's a way, a better way than the way we live. Because the fleshly ways in which we live, Lord, that lead to destruction. Your word says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it, it leads to destruction. So, Lord, your ways lead to life and peace. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for your word. And I just thank you so much for the, the word we're going to get to study today, Lord God. This whole section of scripture is just so precious to me. I've taught it on the street so many times, Lord, and I get a chance actually now to, to, to speak it to the world. Lord God, I'm so excited, Lord. So just please bless the message and bless the hearers. And may they not be hearers only, but may they be doers of the word. Whew. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I thank you. And I ask that you get this message all over the world, Lord God, into every single country in the whole world. Lord God, may people know what it means really to be saved. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 24 through 27 today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. The title of our message today is Jesus Tells Us how to be saved. And I'll throw in there, not as part of the title, not me, you'll hear that several times from me, not my opinion, Jesus tells us how to be saved. So let's read our verses, and then I'll start teaching on them. Verse 24, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So that's our scripture. We read it. We got to go back a little bit though first because I always recap everything we've done or last week at least and then I'm going to have to go back two weeks this time. 
So just bear with me. Remember, just last week we had a special guest speaker. Mr. Tim came to us and spoke to us about evolution. Tim Ostermeyer. And uh, boy, what a powerful message that it was. What a, what a blessed message it was to hear the truth of God's Word being accurate and trustworthy versus uh, evolution, which is just a theory, not a fact, but it's taught as a fact, but it's still just a theory, an unproven theory, the lies of evolution, and I mean the evolution of monkey to man. I'm not talking about, I believe things evolve, but not evolve into new creatures, not evolve into new species. They evolve, they adapt, not evolve like in the evolutionary thought of Darwin. And so praise be to God, we have soldiers out there like Tim Ostermeyer that are out there telling us the truth and telling us the trustworthiness of God's word and the lies of the world. Sadly, uh, getting us up to speed from a couple weeks ago, we're going to get back to Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is with his disciples. Remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and, uh, you know, Peter and excuse me, Peter rebuked Jesus. And, you know, Jesus kind of came back at him with something. So just, you know, in case you don't remember, I'm just bringing you back up to speed. Matthew, the last time I taught, Matthew 16, 21 through 23, where, G, where Peter rebuked Jesus and Jesus came back on him with a response. And so I hope after that sermon, uh, if you don't, it's the don't be so hard on Peter. And I hope after that sermon, you really have a different opinion of Peter because he really just was very deceived and he was very, mis, you know, misled and so, you know, have a little compassion on Peter. Um, sadly, though, unfortunately, speaking on deception, uh, sadly, he, as well as many people today, are victims of false teachings and false spiritual teachings like Peter and the disciples were. The main danger of false spiritual teaching or any other type of teaching for that matter is that it leaves the person or persons very deceived like Peter and his disciples. Deception is terrible because the person insists that they're right even when truth or evidence may show them that they are wrong. Well, sadly, if black is black and white is white, and you believe black is white and white is black, you're wrong. And if the proof and the evidence show that black is black and white is white, then no matter whatever you were taught, you ought to believe that black is black and white is white, despite how you were taught by however person, great a person it was that respect, you know, that you respected that taught you differently. You know, we have those that are deceived in our world today. We have people called Mormons. We have people called Jehovah Witnesses. We have people called Catholics. And we have people that believe that evolution is the way that man came to walk on the face of the planet. Each one of these people are very deceived into thinking very false things. Those groups there that I mentioned that were so-called Christian groups believe different things about the Bible. And they're sadly, they're wrong. The Bible tells them they're wrong, but then they twist scripture and they just conform it because that's how they've been taught. But they're very deceived thinking opposite things of Jesus Christ, thinking things of Jesus Christ that weren't, you know, having to do with him being God and the son of God and the triunity of God. Those are all deceptions. Working your way to heaven is a big deception. Believing that mankind came from a monkey is a terrible deception. It totally, totally, totally dis, dis, you know, disrespects God and his word. And there's no proof that, you know, that, that follows. There's no proof of the fact that we came from monkeys. 
Case in point, just one for you. This, this one hit me this week and I was kind of shocked. Last week after we posted our video on YouTube, I had a replier, I had a commentator comment and email me a, you know, a comment about our sermon last week by Mr. Tim Ostermeyer. And he states, now listen to the deception. Now, if you, listen, if you didn't listen to last week's message by Tim Ostermeyer, I think you should because there's a lot of proof in there that proves the Bible correct and that disproves evolution from a scientific standpoint. And, but I don't believe that this fellow listened to the sermon. I just think he just saw the title and then just made a couple comments. So I'm going to read to you what he read or what he wrote, and then you can go back and listen to the sermon. You can hear all the proofs against the lie of the theory of evolution, and you can make the judgment call for yourself. But he states, listen to his words here, he states, and listen to deception here. He states of the message that this is an idiotic misrepresentation of evolution. Of course evolution happened. Now, I hate to stop right there because there's a little bit more in the quote. Of course evolution happened. Even scientists claim that evolution is a theory. A theory is an unproven idea. A scientific fact is something that we can prove. We have a basis for, we can see. A theory is just an idea, just a thought. It's, it's not a solid, proven thing. Yet, the fellow that replied to us on YouTube said, of course evolution happened. Although he must not believe, he must not know that it's just still a theory because it's taught in schools as a fact. He goes on to say, And no amount of laymen, because Mr. Tim was a layman. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a leader in a church. He was a layman. So he got that term right at least. And no amount of layman attempts to attack a scientific theory will ever result in scientific defaulting to superstition. Of course, so his theory is truth to him. But the Word of God, the Bible, that I can prove to you through hundreds of prophecies, archaeological findings, historical accuracy, the Word of God is a, what did he call it, a superstition. So a theory, which is an unproven thought, takes precedence here for this fellow over a proven archaeological book as such as the Bible. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. There is no truth. So I kindly replied and told them some of the things I just told to you. But, but sadly, this is where deception gets you. Deception leads you to believe that no matter what the evidence and the proof and the facts show, you're right. Even if the evidence and the facts and the proof show you're wrong. So sadly, uh, this is where deception gets us. Now you might say, well, isn't he and, and all people that are deceived, aren't they just okay in God's eyes. I mean, really, aren't they just ignorant of the truth? I mean, you know, there's an ignorance factor here, right? I mean, God cra uh, grades on a curve, right? Well, not quite. How did Jesus treat the disciples when they were ignorant of the truth? Did he just let them off because they didn't know the truth? Well, I'm going to read verse 23 of Matthew 16. Let's see how Jesus treated the disciples who were ignorant. They were deceived. And let's see how Let's see how well he talked to them. Let's see how, you know, what he said to them when they believed the lie. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So what did he do? 
He wasn't harsh because you could read that to be very unloving, but Christ was always loving in everything he said. Absolutely not. He was lovingly but sharply correcting Peter and the disciples and giving them the truth. That's what he did. He didn't say, well, well, because you're deceived, I'm just, I'll just let you go on and just, you can be deceived. It's okay. Just believe whatever you want. No, he sharply and lovingly corrected them and told them the truth. Ignorance only gets someone so far in God's eyes because God is always trying to you know, send people the truth. God throughout all of creation, throughout all of time, has tried, been trying to send man truth. Like Mr. Tim's message last week, trying to send people the truth about the biblical authenticity and trustworthiness and the lie of evolution, but yet people just reject it and ignore the truth because they're not even open to being wrong. So all you really can do with someone that's ignorant and won't investigate the truth, but just has a standard, well, you're wrong and I'm right because I say, because no matter what you say, no matter what evidence you bring, my view's right because you're wrong, is all you can really do is just share the truth with them in love and pray for them as I did this fellow that left this comment and just let it go and put it in God's hands. Because you really can't make somebody believe if they're not willing to even look at the facts you can't make them believe. So that's my little tangent on deception in, in our world today. But rolling into today's message, we're actually going to see that there's a whole lot more deception that we're going to talk about, not having anything to do with evolution, but upon salvation. So on to today's message. If you didn't know, I'm going to tell you these two sections of Scripture from Matthew 21, uh, 16, 21 to 23. That's one section. And 24 through 27, that's another section, but really, in essence, it's one scene. Christ is really in one scene, talking to his disciples, and he goes just from one subject and one topic onto another. So I'm going to recap from the beginning of verse 21 all the way through 24 again, just some highlight, or just to 23, and then we're going to go into 24, and we're going to see how this is all one section, but just so we get our mind around the context of the whole entire situation, because if you separate the context between the one section and the other, you can totally miss a huge blessing that God has for you here. So verse 21, recap. Jesus told us in verse 21 that he is the suffering Messiah Redeemer. He's not the conquering yet. He wasn't, I should say, the conquering redeemer that they all thought he was going to be. He was the suffering Messiah redeemer. Verse 22, Peter comes in. Peter's deceived and he thinks that Jesus is supposed to come to conquer. So Peter steps in and says, Lord, far be it from you. This is not going to happen to you, Lord. You're not going to die. And go, what are you talking about? Raise the third day. You're, Lord, you're coming to reign. So Peter comes in and makes this foolish statement because of his deception. Verse 23, Jesus corrects Peter with a rebuke and tells him the truth uh, of where his false belief came from, from Satan, because he says, get behind me, Satan, and that he wasn't thinking about God's plan, but his own. Now, how does verse 24 roll in with that? Let's read verse 24 and we'll see. Verse 24 again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. You see the word then connects the two sections. 
it could have said a, a week later. Or it could have said, well, then they went on a boat and then they went here and, you know, Jesus said, but it didn't. It said, then Jesus said to his disciples. So the word then there connects the two sections of scripture. So this is very important to us today. Uh, but now, before I go any further, did you just catch what God just said there to us? Because if you didn't, it's a big wow for us. It's an absolute tremendous wow for us, but I'm going to go through it. As a whole, from verse 21 through 24, Christ said something very powerful. But it's very easy to miss if you're not looking, because I've actually never seen it before until I studied for this message. And God showed it to me as I was about to teach this message. God showed it to me. So I'm going to relate it to you, and you can take it and hear what Jesus has to say about salvation. So Jesus Christ, in essence, just told them in verse 21 what he did to bring salvation to mankind. He basically, verse 21, gives the gospel. That he came, he's alive, so we know that in the gospel he, li he lived, he died, and he rose again to defeat death on the third day. So that's the gospel. Okay, that's in essence, that's the good news of God's salvation to mankind. What Jesus Christ did for our salvation. And in verse 24, in case you didn't pick it up, I'm going to repeat it again. Jesus told them, remember then, so it's one section, it's one teaching, it's one together time. Jesus tells them and us the response that he expects from people because of his sacrifice for us. He shares with them and us the required response that he expects us to to do, to, to, to respond to what he did. From that time, Jesus gave the gospel, verse 21, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him. Then it's what God expects of, for what he did for us. Okay? It's a whole thing. To me, that's a huge wow. That is amazing, a huge, amazing, huge wow. Why do I say that? Well, there is an absolute movement in our country, at least in America today. People just believe, well, because God loves me, I'm okay. You know, God loves the world. John 3.16, Pastor Ed, for God so loved the world. So it's all God then, right? And that's what I've heard over and over and over and over and over again. It's all God. God just does it all and that's it. And, and he just, that's it. Well, not what Jesus just said here. Jesus just said, this is what I'm going to do for you, but here's how I want you to respond because of what I did for you. So God does his part, and then guess what? We have to respond to what God did for us by our part. Salvation is like marriage. A husband's not just going to marry a woman just because he, she doesn't want it. If she doesn't want to be married... She has no desire to be married, then the husband can't marry the wife. The man can't marry the woman. We have to respond to what Christ did for us by these ways that Jesus told us we had to. It's kind of like a Christmas gift. I've used this analogy before in my sermons before. It's kind of like a Christmas gift. 
you have this beautiful tree and it helps us remember, you know, you know, we put all our ornaments up and we put our little Christian ornaments up and helps us remember what Jesus did for us and by putting his little scene on there and everything and the wise men and all that stuff and it's beautiful. And then we give gifts. We give gifts to people. We give gifts to family members. We give gifts to friends. So there's all these gifts sitting underneath the Christmas tree. Well, then as the people all come in to see their gifts, what does a person have to do with the gift that's under the tree? What if they just looked at that gift and they just kept looking at it? Oh, that's, woo, that's really wrapped nice. Wow, look, man, look at the, look at the, you know, look at the, the way he did the bow on there. Man, that's really artistic. Wow. So it's a really nice gift, right? Beautiful gift. There may be $20 billion in there. But unless the person that the gift is addressed to picks it up, opens it, unwraps it, takes off the top, and gets what's inside, he doesn't get the gift. It's like salvation from God's point of view. God in Christ sent this beautiful gift. Christ come and dying for the sins of mankind. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God, God's grace. For we were, didn't love God first, for he loved us first. Hey, he sent Christ to die for us first. God loved us first. But... Us, what, what is our response? What do we do? Do we just sit back on the couch and just say, oh, well, God will just save us if he wants to? Absolutely not. Not according to what Jesus said here. Jesus said you have to go, you have to take the gift, you have to respond to the gift being under the tree. You have to come, you have to take the gift, you have to open it, you have to take it, and it becomes yours once you take it. It's a response. God wants a response because of what he did. So in case you didn't break down everything Christ just said to us, and you're not as quite as wowed as I am, I want to break down exactly what Jesus said in depth. And while you're listening, and I'm going to make this statement, I've already made it once, and this is my second time. While you're listening to what I'm reading, please understand, please understand, because you might get really offended when you hear this message. Please understand these are not my words. I'm reading, I have a new King James Version Bible, and I'm reading the red letters. In my King James Version Bible, the red letters are the words of Jesus Christ. And these are his words that he's speaking to us, not me. All I'm going to do is exegete them. What do they mean? I'm going to pull out the meaning from the meaning of the scripture. I'm only going to stay within this, within these script, within these verses. And I'm going to show you in other verses of the Bible how they relate. But we're going to exegete this section of Scripture. And we're going to pull out its meaning and then prove it by other sections of Scripture in the Bible. So understand, it's not my words. These are the words in red. These are the words of Christ. And it's important here because please listen carefully. Especially in America, people are really confused and deceived about salvation. A lot of people don't even know what it means to be saved. A lot of people have no idea what salvation even means. They have no, no idea how to get saved. They just think, well, I just have this belief in Jesus, and well, I, I, don't know, I, I talk to him, you know, isn't, that's, I'm, I'm good, I'm saved. But if we look here, what Jesus says here, you won't find that. So please listen carefully, 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 because Jesus is going to tell us how a person really gets saved. 
So let's dissect verse 24 and see everything we see in it. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time today is in one verse. We'll get to about three or four others, but we're going to dissect one verse, really, really exegete it really well, and then you can hear what Christ has to say. And there's lots of good news in there for us, but we just have to exegete it and see what it says. Verse 24, let's read it again. And I'll stop the points I want to stop at. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me. What's the first thing we see? Well, we see the first thing Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me. What, what that means is, is salvation, because salvation's in Christ, we'll get to that, is for anyone. You could use the word everyone, because the word anyone means anyone, just like the word all means all. All means all. Everyone means everyone. Everyone, who's everyone? Well, everyone over the whole world. The salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ is for everyone. Isn't that good news? God's not holding back any salvation from anybody according to Jesus here. Now again, this is not mine. This is what Jesus said. Well, we have a very deep deception in our country today called Calvinism. And in Calvinism, they believe that only these certain elect people that God just forechose are going to be saved. Well, of course, Jesus said few would be saved. So that, of course, means that God would only elect a few. Well, what does that mean for the rest of mankind? That means that God also elected the majority of the people in the world to go to hell. That means they don't have a choice. That means that God forechose for them that they would go to hell. Yet, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, anyone, who's anyone? Anyone's not, doesn't say elect, doesn't say a certain select group that God so chose to save from the foundations of the planet. It says, if anyone desires to get saved, anyone. Pretty plain, pretty simple. It's not my words, it's God's words. And if you want other verses from the Bible, we have 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Or Paul writes, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men. All men. No, all, there's that word all again. All men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our saviors. What's good? That, we, that Christians pray for all men. Not some men. It's good and acceptable in the sight of God that Christians pray for all men. Why? Why? Well, verse 4, he tells us. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires or wills or wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is for anyone, and God wants everyone and anyone to get saved. Hallelujah, that's great news. 2 Peter 3, 9, God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. All, all of who? All of a certain select group? I, I just don't read that here. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come up after me, not some, anyone desires to come up after me. We must never forget God's salvation is for the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Well, who's in the world? Everyone's in the world. For God so loved the world. 
Anyone and everyone is access, has access to the salvation that's in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Praise be to God. So how does Jesus Christ say anyone can get saved? Well, the second thing I see here, if anyone desires to come, that's a big important one. What does it mean to desire to come? Well, desire, there's an old saying, desire, you can't coach it. You can't coach desire. If you don't have desire, you won't do anything. If I didn't have a desire to preach God's word from the pulpit and from Gospel Saving Church, if I didn't desire to do it, I just simply wouldn't do it. If I didn't desire to have a family, I wouldn't have a family. If I didn't desire to live, well, really, I could be so depressed that clinical science, medical science says you could be so depressed you'll actually kill yourself. Because when you're really down and when you're really angry, your, your body gets all messed up and everything and you could actually die just because you just don't want to live anymore. So unless you desire to come, you won't have anything. Unless you desire anything, you won't have it. So the second thing that Jesus says is a need for anyone to come is that they must desire. If you don't desire, you won't come. And this is true for anything in life. If you have a friend, if you don't desire to be with that friend, that friend's not going to be your friend anymore. If you don't desire to go to work, well, then you're going to sit at home and maybe be homeless or live off the government or whatever it takes. You're not going to desire to do it. You're not going to do it. And in case in point, if person A desires to be with person B, but person B has no desire to be with person A, then guess what? They're not going to be together. Person A and person B will never be together because they both didn't desire the same outcome. So unless you desire, you can't have it because you're not going to go out and get it. Desire is like the, the train, the motivator that gets you going. So anyone can get saved, but you must desire to come. Come to what? Come to who? Jesus said it. Next, the third thing we see. He desires, uh, for the person has to desire Jesus. Jesus said that a person must have a desire to come to him for this salvation. Listen, if anyone desires to come after me, he didn't say come after Allah. He didn't say come after Buddha. He didn't say come after Mother Mary. He said if anyone desires to come after me, okay, you must, anyone can get saved as long as they desire and they're willing to even look at coming after Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me or except through me. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Let it be known, Paul says, or somebody recording Paul or Paul writing himself. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12. And I only gave you those other verses to show you that the context was of Christ, not of anybody else. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. And last one, John 7, 37. On the last day, Jesus stands up talking about desire. On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stands up and cries out saying, If anyone thirsts, 
What is a thirst? A thirst is a desire. If anyone thirsts, he raises, he stands up and yells out, if anyone thirsts, listen, let him come to me and drink. Exactly what he says here in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me. And now we're going to get to the drink part, which is in the rest of our verse 24. So a quick, huge side note here. Before anybody's thinking, man, Pastor Ed, boy, you're, there's a lot into this. Not, not really. Not, not really. You just have to examine yourself, but there's not really a lot here. But one thing I want to make sure that we understand before I keep going. You cannot save yourself, and you cannot work for your salvation. God is the Savior. All Jesus Christ is doing here is telling us what He expects from us according to what He did. Jesus does the saving. Jesus did the work for you and me to get saved. He's just requiring us to go take the salvation that He offers, not just sit back and He just eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by the toe, well, I'm just going to save that one because I feel like doing so. Okay, that's not the case. And we get that. It's un underwritten here. And um, we get that from mainly from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where the Bible says, Paul writes, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. Same thing we talked about the Christmas tree. It's a gift from God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. Well, I'd love anyone to email me on this or challenge me on this or write me a letter. Anyone raise your hand that thinks that going underneath the Christmas tree and grabbing that Christmas tree present or that, that Christmas present and opening it, if that's work. I mean, do I have a show of hands? Anybody here? Anybody here believe that going underneath the Christmas tree and grabbing your present and opening it and taking receiving that gift, that that's work? Well, I hope you don't have your hand raised because that would be the most foolish thing you ever did in your life. Of course, taking a present is not work. Work is something you do, some, some, some physical action that you go do that you're, you're working really hard to do it. You're just receiving the gift. We have to receive the gift, and receiving a gift is not a work. It's not a good work. It's not a work of salvation. It's just receiving the work. So salvation is always by God's grace. His, the sacrifice that Christ made for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Through what? Our faith to come to him, respond to his reaching out to us to save us, and not by our good works or good deeds or by anything we could do, our merits that we have, any, any special thing that we could hold before God. Well, God, you know... Look at what I did to get saved, Lord. I, I helped 500 old ladies across the street through my lifetime. Okay, no, it's by no good works. And God's the Savior. He just expects people to respond to what He did. For you didn't love God first, and I didn't love God first, and you'll never love God first because He loved you first. But He expects a response to His love that He showed you. So, back to what Jesus said, where He expects out of anyone who wants to be saved. So once anyone or everyone desires God, okay, and starts to come after Christ alone, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, so if anyone starts to come after Christ alone, then Jesus tells us here that one must, the fourth thing we see here, or the fifth thing we see here, what does he say here? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Okay, that's, that's, that's key. Let him deny self. Anyone desires 
comes after Jesus, then what? Jesus expects the response to be, let one deny himself. Now, what in the world, Pastor Ed, what you're saying? Pastor Ed, what in the world does it mean to deny myself? I mean, I'm me. I can't, I'm supposed to deny that I'm John or Larry or Sue or Susan. I'm supposed to deny who I am? No, not quite. Just listen to Merriam-Webster here first. Merriam-Webster says that self-denying, it's a little backwards, but it has the same idea. It's, it's exactly what Christ is talking about here. Merriam-Webster Merriam says that self-denying is the sacrifice of one's own desires or interests. Now, how does this relate to what Jesus Christ says here, deny self? Well, denying your own self-interest also reminds me of another word that's very used through Jesus Christ's ministry and also John the Baptist's ministry. It's called repentance. The word repentance, what does it mean? Well, this is right out of our, our Strong's Concordance. Repentance is a change of mind and as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. And what do we have to have a change of heart in this? So what do we have to have a change of heart in? What do we have to deny about ourselves here that Jesus says the first thing we must do after we desire and after we start to come to him, we must deny ourselves? What is he talking about here? He's saying here, and as we know through the Bible, because it tells us so, that we are born sinners. We are born by nature. We are born and we are our own God by nature by very nature when we're born out of the womb as we grow up we only listen to ourselves. we do as we want to do and it's only until our parents or those that are raising us correct us even to do anything right because a child doesn't have to be taught how to do wrong they have to be taught how to do right naturally you're born in sin and naturally you're born with yourself as your own god our desire and our only desire and if you look at a baby right out of the womb what do they start doing they start crying why because they want you to serve him not only do they are do we want to be our own gods but we want to be the god of others when we come out of the womb if you took a newborn baby and you put him in the in the uh, in the body of an adult and he had the rage that he had if you didn't give him that bottle when he was hungry he would kill you because you didn't serve him so we, by our very nature, are sinners. We're born as our own gods, and we desire to be gods over, or a god over others. What Jesus says, deny self. He's saying that we need to repent or have a change of mind and take ourselves off the throne of our own lives and put God slash Jesus Christ in there instead. This step to accept God's gift of Jesus Christ means that God wants a total surrender of your heart and soul unto God and Jesus Christ, making them the Lord of your lives instead of yourself. Better described, because God gave me a few on this one here. Better described, a from-the-heart decision to stop living for self, to stop living for me, and start living for God. Example, God, Jesus Christ, I can't live this way anymore. I don't want this anymore. Jesus, I need you. Please be the Lord over my life because I've screwed up my life. I need a better one because I've screwed everything up. 
You're taking self off the throne of your life. You're putting God and Jesus Christ on the throne of your life where you are not only they're there, you're subservient to them. Total surrender. God shows it to me like this. Before we get saved, before you totally surrender, you have this impenetrable citadel that you're in. And there's no way in unless you unlock the door from the inside. But God is showing you who he is through that citadel. And you can see him, but you have to decide to what? Open the door and wave the white flag. Jesus, I, I, I'm done. I'm lonely. I'm miserable. I can't do this anymore. I, I don't want to be alone in this citadel. Come and take over my citadel. Okay? Wave the white flag and take yourself off your own throne and put God and Jesus Christ on the throne of your lives. He says you must deny yourself. Deny the lordship that you have over your own life. Consequently, we'll get to this a little later, I believe that this step of surrender is where somebody actually comes to be born again. And why? Because of the next two steps of salvation that Jesus talks about here. There's no way you can do the next two things Jesus said unless you've got God's Holy Spirit living in your life. You could never pick up your cross or follow Jesus Christ unless you really truly have God's Holy Spirit living in your life. Now, there are different ideas about what this deny self means. I'm not going to lie to you. that I searched this out, and it's kind of scary. People took all kinds of concepts, and it's just so sad because we just have to look to the concept that's right here in our scripture here. So there's a whole lot of different ideas of what deny self means. So, so, so we're not confused about what Christ really meant here. We're going to look at our context and see how Jesus clarifies what he kind of says about what he translates, deny self, pick up cross, and follow after me. Just read verse 25 quick. We'll read it again, but just so we see here for now, read verse 25 here with me quick, 16:25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. He's talking about your life. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever, so what he's, what he's saying here is if you want to save your life for you, you lose your eternal life, Okay. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Notice that there's a loss of life for Christ's sake. Not just for any reason, but notice you'd only find life. What he's saying there, we'll get to it later. Find eternal life if you're denying yourself, putting God on your throne. Notice he said in 25, whoever loses his life for my sake, not for your own sake, but for my sake, he says, if you surrender to me, you'll find new life. So what's the next thing we see? So after we deny ourselves or totally surrender our lives to God or wave the white flag from our citadel and let God come in and take control, Jesus tells us that we must, number two, pick up our crosses. Okay, what, does he, what is he saying? In Luke, he adds in 9.23, he adds to pick up your cross, he adds daily. Now, wherever the scripture you know, talks more on a certain subject, we must take the more because Matthew just simply just didn't you know, record the daily while Luke 9.23, Jesus said it, and he did. Okay, so Jesus expects us to, deny, to pick up our crosses daily. In context here, this is kind of going to scare you maybe at, for a moment. 
In context, Jesus, in Jesus' day, a person only picked up their cross if they were going to be crucified, or you could say die on that cross. Cross in Christ's day meant crucifixion. The only reason you'd pick up a cross is if you were going to carry that cross and you were going to die on that cross eventually. So, Pastor Ed, are you telling me here? Really, seriously, are you saying that every person to get saved needs to die on a cross like Jesus Christ did in order to be saved? Well, that can't be because guess what? They don't crucify people anymore on crosses, at least not anywhere I've ever heard of, or at least, at least in a thousand years that I've ever heard of. So what is Jesus saying? No, Jesus is telling us that we had to be crucified. He's not telling us we had to be crucified on a cross like he was. But he does expect that we should take a stand against our sinful flesh nature and decide to live a life of abstinence from sin unto what? Unto God's righteousness. And if we're not born again, consequently, like I just said, if we're not born again, you can never deny yourself. You can never, you, or you can never pick up your cross and follow after Jesus if you're not born again. God's Holy Spirit is what gives you the power to even reject sin. That's what God's yeah. Word says. Now, so, you know, I'm not beyond criticism, okay? Understand, I'm not beyond criticism. We must be careful that I'm not just taking Jesus' words out of context here. So I want to show you what the Apostle Paul write on the crucifixion of our sinful flesh. In Galatians 5.24, he writes this. And those who are Christ, notice your Christ first. Salvation came at deny self. That's what I read there. Those who are Christ, or surrendered to God, or denied self, have, along with, notice Jesus put these together, so they kind of happen simultaneously. It's a heart condition. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And also in Romans 6, 6, Paul writes again, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The old man, what? The old flesh man, just like he said in Galatians, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, well, what's the body of sin? The, the body that we live in now is sinful flesh that we're living Paul said again, O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death so that this body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So, picking up your cross, Jesus is saying clearly here that he, that he, he expects us to have a heart condition of staying away from living a life of sin. Does that mean we're never going to sin again? Unfortunately, absolutely not. Because Paul writes, why do I do the things that I don't want to do when I don't do the things that I want to do? It's, it's, a, it's at that, this point of deny, pick up cross daily. We're supposed to avoid sin at all costs daily, but unfortunately, we still won't make mistakes. So don't be scared, thinking, oh my gosh, I can never sin again. Oh, no, because you're not perfect. John writes in, John writes in his epistle, I believe it's first John, if anyone says they are without sin, that one's a liar. So you're always going to sin, but God's talking about a lifestyle, a lifestyle lived in and for sin. I'll just, I live for my passions and my desires, and that's just it, and too bad, because God can take me or leave. That's the kind of heart condition that God does not want. He expects us to have a heart 
a repentant heart towards sinful things and work at stopping them. I don't want sin anymore, God. That's dangerous for me. It's evil for me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, save me. I, I need you. Jesus is telling us here that along with our repentance or change of heart towards God, in, you know, towards us being in control of our lives and God being in control of our lives, he requires us to put to death our flesh daily and its sinful desires and focus on living lives, living our lives in his holy ways and by and through his Holy Spirit. So we have deny self, remove self off throne, where you get saved, you surrender to God totally with a heart condition of, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. God, I, I don't want to live this sinful life anymore. God, I need your way. I need your way. Your ways are better. And then deny what your flesh wants to do. Stop sinning as much as you possibly can. God will point it out so your sin will be offensive to you from that point on. I told you what Jesus said was, wow. And so if you've never heard this before, it's right there. Again, I'll say it a third time. These are not my words. These are the words of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me, the words of red letters in my New King James Version Bible, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. So lastly, he tells us that we must decide to follow after him. The old Christian hymn song, in case you've never heard it, I have decided <clears throat> to follow Jesus. The cross before me, so it's ahead of me, the world behind me. I've decided to walk after Christ. I don't want to walk my way anymore. My way led to destruction. That's what the Bible says. There's a way that's right to a man. It leads to a destruction. I just, I'm desiring, I'm deciding to live for Christ. I'm going to follow Christ from now on in. Coincidentally, the definition of a Christian, guess what it is? A follower of Christ or little Christ, okay? So the actual word Christian means what Jesus just said here, follow me. Make a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. In my heart, in all my ways, I'm going to follow Jesus. Finally, we see here Jesus expects us to respond to his sacrifice by making a decision to follow him. Or in our case today, deciding to live our lives following his teachings and living our lives like he lived his life. Amen. The Apostle John says in 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him, Jesus Christ, ought himself, or he better, to walk just as he, Jesus Christ, walked. Or in essence, if you want a good life term, and I know it's, it can be so cliché, and we don't see it much in America here anymore, but I did when, we did when, we were, when I was younger. But have you ever seen the bracelets or the bumper stickers or WWJD? Again, that is an absolute amazing way to look at your life. The, the letters WWJD means, what would Jesus do? And if you apply that to your whole life, after you made a decision, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to deny my, Jesus, I want you on my throne. I'm off. And then your heart condition is, in every situation you come into, if you just thought, what would Jesus do in this situation? You would be a follower of Christ. 
Isn't that awesome? I love it. WWJD. Unfortunately, people overused it and everybody has everybody had a bracelet at one time, WWJD, but it's an amazing way to follow the Savior. Just what just what would he do in this situation? And then if you don't know, well, go to the Word and find out what Jesus Christ would do in the situation that you're in. Oh God, my boss is asking me to lie. Oh, what should I do? Oh wait, oh, thou shall not lie. Whoa, all liars will have their part in the... Oh, well, I guess, I guess you don't want me to lie, God. Okay, what would Jesus do? It's a great way to live your life. Yeah. To sum up salvation in a nutshell, as I said earlier, Jesus says in verse 25, we're going to read it again, just quickly over it. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He makes it as plain, he makes his truth as plain and as clear as the nose that's on everybody's face. If someone desires to save his life, his earthly life, or, or you could say as in our context here, keep the lordship over your own life, then they will lose their life. Or since Jesus is talking about eternal salvation here, they'll lose their eternal life. Or if anyone wants, they can lose their lives for his sake. Remember I talked about that earlier. Or surrender their lives to God and they can find life or eternal life with God Almighty in heaven forever. Just really quick, we just brushed that over because we already talked about it. But that is our context. One losing one's life to God, in God, in Christ, for my sake, he said to save your life or to gain your life or to gain eternal life in heaven. So next verse, verse 26, I almost wanted to stop in verse 25, but God said, no, I want you to do the next two. So I said, all right, Lord. So he gives us some motivation to lose or surrender our lives to him and get saved and gain eternal life with him. Let's read verse 26. For he says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Notice Jesus is talking about losing your soul. This whole section of scripture is upon salvation. Simply salvation. What, Jesus, what is Jesus telling us about real salvation here? Not Ed Spagnoli, not Pastor Ed. What is Jesus Christ telling us about salvation? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? On the subject of keeping your life or staying the Lord of your own life or losing your eternal, or losing your eternal life or, or spending the eternity in hell, Jesus reminds us that even if you lost your soul to gain the whole world, it wouldn't be worth it. It simply wouldn't be worth it. And in like manner, no matter what you could exchange for your own soul, it wouldn't be worth it either. Because why? I want you to think about this. If a human being on this planet, and I know there are some that are more, but if a human being on our planet Earth lives to be about 100 years old, they are really blessed. I mean, 100, that is awesome. I would love to make it to 100. God willing, I'll, I'll make it to 100 and I'll be healthy and active and everything. But we're blessed to live 100 years. That's a really a big blessing. But I want to ask you a question. Think about this. What is a hundred years in span of a uh, thousand years? Well, that's one-tenth. Well, what's a hundred years in span of uh, one million years? That's like nothing, right? I mean, you wouldn't even see it. 
What's 100 years in the span of 1 million times a million times a million times a million times a million times infinity millions of years, as many millions as you could think of, what is 100 years in the span of that? Well, you might, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that, you wouldn't, it'd, be, it'd be insignificant. Well, you're right. 100 years in the span of even 1 million years, you might not even be a needle in a haystack. And 100 years in a, man, in a matter of 100 million years wouldn't even be in probably the size of an atom. So your 100 years is very little in the span of all eternity. So here's what Christ is saying. Whether it's your own life that you want to keep or the whole world and everything in it that you want to gain, it will never be worth it because guess what? You can only have your life that you'll rule over, and even you could only have the whole world to rule over for a hundred years, maybe, in the span of eternity. Or you could lose your life to Christ now and surrender to Him, and guess what? Have the reward of everlasting life with God and Christ forever, where you give up everything now, but you gain millions and millions and millions and billions and trillions of infinity years to be with God in peace. So how long can you really hold on to your own life? Or if you were to exchange your soul for the whole world or gain the whole world, how long could you really hold on to the whole world? Well, again, maybe if you're really blessed, a hundred years. And what is that in the span of millions and billions and trillions and forevers of years. To me, it's a no-brainer. I see this as <clears throat> he gives everyone the same opportunity, praise God, to do what? To trade temporary filthy rags. To trade the temporary filthy rags that we have now, our sinful flesh, our sinfulness, our sinful desires, for everlasting, amazing, priceless riches that he offers to all those that desire to come after him that will deny themselves, pick up their crosses daily, and follow after him. Amen. Wow. Jesus finishes this whole idea with verse 27 where he takes us home, where we see even a little bit more motivation for surrendering our life to him and not holding on to it ourselves. Verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Now, if He's rewarding us each according to our works, if we do good works, that's great. And if we do bad works, that's not so good. So let's not be confused. I don't want anybody to be confused. You may be saying, well, Pastor Ed, did you just not say that we're not saved by works? No, we're not. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that really clear. So what is Jesus telling us here? Let's look at it. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but let's throw one other verse in there because it's actually the next verse that if we read it before, we would have seen what Christ is saying here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For listen, for we, mankind, not we, any elect of mankind, for we are his workmanship. God created everybody on the planet. For, from Adam and Eve all the way to the last child born right now. God created that baby. God created that person. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is Christ saying here? Simply put, those who surrender to Christ and lose their lives to him now will walk in the good works that he prepared for them. And those who don't surrender to him now, well, they just won't. And they'll live for themselves and for their ways and the ways they want to live forever. And when Christ comes back, he'll either reward you for the good works that he gave you to do, whether you, well, just like that Christmas gift under the tree, just like the gift of salvation. If you're sitting there now and you, well, I'm not saved according to what you, you know Jesus just said. Maybe you're getting mad at me. Well, then that's your fault. Because you just have to reach out and take the gift and take the steps that Jesus said to take. Simple put, right? So all the good works are prepared for everybody. But, just, but you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people just leave them under the tree. A lot of people leave them in God's hands. God's outstretched arm trying to give them a gift and you just won't take it. But if you take the gift of salvation and you do what Jesus said to do here, then you will walk in the good works which God prepared before and that you would walk in them. And don't think the good works that Christ here is talking about is helping old ladies across the street or, or doing something kind for somebody. The good works that God has prepared for us are all in the Word. And if you knew the Word, you'd see the things that God has for you to do and you'd walk in those good works because they are mightily different than just doing some random act of goodness just because you want to make yourself look good. There are a way different whole set of new good works. They're not the good works you may be thinking of that I need to get saved because there's no good work that you could be saved with. And what does he say? He finishes it with, he will reward mankind upon whatever works that we walk in. Whether we walk in his works that he prepared for us. And think about that. If you're a Christian out there and you're listening, hallelujah, praise God. God gave you good works to walk in. All you got to do is walk in them. And then guess what? For doing what he already had for you to do, he gives you a reward for it. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Just get into the word and see what the good works are. Or you can walk in your own works. And you can, you'll be rewarded, as Jesus said here, for your own works. The works that you think you do. Oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I do these good works. Well, you'll, get, you'll also be rewarded for those things. And if we remember the parable of the wheat and the tares, the works that, the works that people were that were rewarded with there were eternal life in God's barn forever or eternal fire forever that's prepared, you know, that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's those, those are reward. Those are the rewards that God's going to give to those that are either going to walk in his works or that people are going to walk in their works. I want to say this one last time. This sermon, these words on this page were not mine. I just read them and told you what the Bible said about them. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Ed, what, what do you, the Bible says if I just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that word believe, if you're, if you're ever interested to go see, search, it, or search it out, really, in essence, means faith. Because we can't even come to God unless we just respond by faith to what He did for us, and then respond by faith. So it's not that we could just have a simple mental belief in Jesus and then we're saved. The belief in the Bible is a faith belief. It's a faith. I know he's there. I'm going to respond to what he did for me. It's a faith. It's an action. And it's just the very first step too, by the way. James says that faith without works, not good works to save you, but faith without works is dead. Without the work of repentance, without the work of deny, without the work of picking up your cross daily, and without the work of following Jesus, your faith means nothing. 
in the beginning of our sermon, I talked about how there were a lot of people in our world that are deceived today. And there are many who are deceived today in our world. And as I mentioned earlier, they're deceived upon many things. But one of the greatest things that the devil has done in our world today is deceive people into believing that they're really saved because why? Well, I, I was at a church one time and, and the pastor said, just raise your hand and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I, I need you and, and Lord, forgive me for my sins, Lord. In Jesus' name, I believe in you. Amen. Well, if you can show me one place in the Word of God where the Bible says, pray this one prayer to God and just have this mental belief in Jesus and then you'll be saved. Well, I'll, I'll, I would eat this computer because that's how firm I am. I've read the Bible over all, probably 15 times or more and it does not give one prayer of salvation ever. And certainly, if that was the real way to salvation, why wouldn't we have read it in the red words in this book that I'm reading, the New King James Version Bible? And you can go to the NIV, you can go to the King James Version, you can go pretty much any version of the Bible that you want, and those red letters may not be red, but they're there. But the words of Christ are still the words of Christ. And he didn't say anything about in this section of Scripture. Just have this mental belief in me and pray this one prayer just this one time and you'll just be magically saved. Hallelujah, praise God. That's a deception right from the pit of hell. Pray a prayer and believing in Jesus does not save anyone. I believe in the sun and the moon and the stars and people all over the world pray to false gods. They pray to uh, you know, Allah and they pray to, they, they pray to false gods. And they're not praying to the one true God of all the earth. So the big question I want to ask everyone listening today, and you may be madder than mad at me today. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just telling you the words of Jesus here. Are you one of those people that are deceived because you prayed a prayer and you, you, and you believed or you had a mental belief? I believe in Jesus. All right, I believe in Jesus. Are you one of those deceived people? Because that's not what Christ said here. It's easy enough to find out if you are deceived if you're, or if you're not deceived. Are you practicing willfully a lifestyle of verse 24? And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Put himself off the throne and put God on the throne of his life daily. Take up his cross daily. And follow after me daily. Are you doing that? Is that how you would you know, characterize your life? I am not in control of my life. I'm not the Lord of my life. I live according to what God said. And does that cause you to verse 25? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake. Are you losing your life for Christ's sake daily so that you can have eternal life? Or aren't you? Or do you, did you just pray a prayer one time or have a simple belief in Jesus and you just think, well, I'm, I'm saved. I'm saved because I believe in Jesus. Because again, that's not what we read here. So you either decided to surrender your life unto Christ 
and allow yourself to crucify your flesh, cut off sin from your life, and follow him, or you didn't. You either follow or you don't. There's no in-between. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And he commanded us here, Anyone that desires to follow after me must deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and look daily, and follow after me. Please, if you're out there and this is not you, please don't be deceived any longer because the proof of what we just said right here, not my words, Jesus' words, tells you different. If you're not following what Jesus said here, then you're not saved because you prayed a pr- and you're not saved because you prayed a prayer one time and you just have a belief in Jesus. I praise God for the gift that He gave us through Jesus Christ and all that He did for us. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for the sins of the world and he rose again on the third day to defeat death so that all who come to him, all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ should be saved. But because he did this for you and me and all mankind, because he loves you that much, doesn't mean that everyone is saved. He requires us to respond to, this, his, to his great sacrifice by the total surrender of our lordship of our lives over to him and today you learned how he said that he wants you to be saved not how you heard some preacher man sometime you you can go right here to matthew 16 24 through 27 and you could read the same things that i just read right there and they're as plain as day as the nose on your face so i exhort you now please if this is not you Get into this and read it and read it and let it burn holes in your eye sockets. Get down on your knees. Repent to God Almighty for just having a basic belief in Jesus and cry out to Him in repentance, surrendering yourself to Him and your life to Him and your ways to Him and turn to Him now. Because it's not those that believe in Jesus that are saved. It's those who make them who surrender their lives to him, who make them, make him and Jesus your, their God, your God. Not a belief, not a simple prayer. It's a life that he wants. He wants your life. He gave his life for you. He wants your life for him. It's as simple. And if you're not there, please turn today because you just learned that you're deceived and you need to come after him right now before it's too late. God loves you. Please come now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your words. Your red letter words, Lord. Not my words. Your words today, not mine. Thank you so much, dear God, that you you didn't want to keep salvation hid from mankind. You desire all to be saved. And that Christians should pray that, that anyone can have salvation. That we should pray for all men. Lord, you want everyone to be saved. God, I just pray that you would work in men's and women's and children's hearts right now as they hear this message. And I pray, dear God, that they would take these steps of what you said it takes to be saved, not what I said, but what you said to be saved. Lord, and they would take those steps and surrender to you now and fall in love with you, Lord, because of what you did for them. 
Not because of any good works that they have before you, because they worked really hard and they got saved. No, because they surrendered and they decided to put you in their, in their heart and you on the throne of their lives instead of themselves. And then they live a lifestyle where you're the Lord of their lives and not yeah. themselves. I pray, dear God, that you would continue to reach out to people, Lord God, and get this message all over the world and bring people to the true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord. Not my knowledge, but your knowledge. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.